You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. Greetings, everyone. And Veronica Dashel. Hello. And Alan couldn't be with us today. He, um, oh. I'm, so I'm, I'm driving this thing on my own for the first time, so we're going to see how well the StreamYards works. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so welcome back. Wow. Uh, just so you guys know, because, well, I've been having some personal issues for the last several weeks. So I've been behind. I just finished the finale of Prodigy 30 <laughs> seconds ago. <laughs> so I'm like wow. all jazzed up now. Yeah. Like, wow, wow, that was incredible. Wow, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, what did you think? Really good. Yeah. Uh, I was impressed. Uh, I was absolutely impressed. So I can't wait to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I mean, it's uh to me this one. I'm glad kind of we 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 waited to talk about Super, Supernova Part One and Two together mm-hmm. because uh, they really felt like two halves of an episode to me. Yeah. What did you think? So it's now been two weeks since a week a week since I saw the last second half, mm-hmm. and um I should have really refreshed my memory. Because <laughs> I I remember enjoying it and I remember it being exciting and I I really I'm just totally skipping to the ending. Okay. But um <laughs> I really enjoyed that they're not like going directly into Starfleet mm. because that would be too much because there's like people that have studied for years and done these tests and to get into Starfleet, but they're kind of like, kind of like Wesley was, where they're like in Starfleet, but not really in Starfleet. Yeah, well, when 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 I, I we should probably say spoilers for the two part finale of Star Trek Prodigy. Yes. <laughs> before we get too far into this, it's kind of implicit in the in the the name of the conversation. But if you've not seen Star Trek Prodigy, uh, Supernova parts one and two, now would be a a good time to watch that. Uh, but yeah, going back to what you're saying, Veronica, I, there, there, it seems like for season two, they're going to be in very much the same sort of situation that Wesley was in when he was an acting ensign. Yeah. Kind of learning about Starfleet and how things actually work mm-hmm. when, when you're actually in Starfleet and have to follow Starfleet rules and you're not just kind of trying to figure it out on your own. Yeah. Well, let's back up just a little bit because at the beginning of the episodes or the beginning of part one, it sort of jumps right into this battle where the protostar finds the fleet or the fleet finds them. Yep. Um, and I got to say, I mean, for as much as I probably, I think it's done a really good job of sort of doing some reimagining of st- the, st- the look of star Trek, the prodigy, the ship doesn't look quite like, um, it doesn't look quite, quite like the regular star Starfleet ships that we're accustomed to. You know, it, it doesn't have uh, a, a, it has a, a lot of unique features that are, are just for Prodigy. They seem to have a free hand in sort of redesigning it. But when you get back to the regular Starfleet ships, this, or the regular fleet, the cannon ships that we're familiar with, they look 
to I mean to my eye to be identical. Yeah. I mean, I have very little experience with telling ships apart, but <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, I mean the like the defiant, the sovereign class. Yes. The the centaur, they all look like they did on the shows. The defiant, I can remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I agree. That one of the, one of the notes I made was this is honestly probably the best battles and usage of ships I've seen since DS9 itself. Mm. Because you're right, I could see so many different types of starships right. in there. And they also did something we, uh, we talked about this. You talk about this a lot in space shows. Space shows forget all the time that space is three dimensional. Mm-hmm. And in so many space shows, like we always say, everybody attacks in the same plane and everybody kind of goes forward, backward, left and right. And so it's great when you see people do three dimensional maneuvers. And the protostar was doing some cool three dimensional maneuvers. Uh, so I like that. And I like this. You said there's so many different types of starships that I'm just sitting there going, wow, they, they took their time. They really took their time mm-hmm. to research that. That was kind of cool. Yeah. And. I mean, it's some heavy hitters. Like the the USS Defiant was in there. Yes, yeah. I I was worried. Um, the fact that the Defiant was in there with uh, the Protostar and uh, them connecting and everything, and it's like, no, the Defiant can't go poof like this. That's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I it was pretty thrilling just just to see. And sort of like you indicated, Keith, like like a DS9 level fleet mm-hmm. sequence. And I mean, and they've done Starfleet sequences on Picard. They've done it right. on Discovery. But those shows tend to reimagine the the look of the Starfleet more than Prodigy seems to have. Yeah. You know, so it's it's like the, the fleet that we remember all of a sudden is back. Right. Yeah. I thought also what I felt was um, obviously this is a show that tends to be quote-unquote geared toward a younger audience but Mm -hmm. this absolutely has gone i guess every episode this season has up the ante the uh, stakes and it has felt more and more i'm going to say this more and more like real star trek Mm. as it's gone along because this didn't feel like a quote-unquote kitty show uh the last few episodes it felt like star trek and that's pretty good yeah We've got a, a quick comment from Matt Sweatman. Hey, Matt. Said, one, of the, <laughs> one of the changes in modern Trek is that there are so many different designs. In TNG, it seemed like there were pretty much only three different ship designs, one <laughs> of which had been around since Star Trek three. And, and that's true. They, I mean, they, especially on Next Gen, they reused all the models they could from the Star Trek movies. So the Klingon ships looked exactly like the Klingon ships from the movies. You know, you got the Excelsior, you've got the um the oberth was in there at some point you know like so yeah it's it's amazing now that the cgi is so well established that you can have these big diverse fleets i don't don't think it's just the cgi being more diverse now i think both of the animated shows do it a lot better even than the fleet-wide shots in the live action that they're currently doing, like mm. there's a lot, there was a lot of copy and paste in some of the live action stuff. Picard in particular, yes. that, that season one finale of Picard where it, it looked like the same <laughs> ship over and over and over. Oh yeah. Every, when you go online or you read reviews that gets talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a like, lot. It, it was, yeah. it was just, uh, Charles, uh, what you're saying, what was the name of the ship that is used from, it was, the, it was a ship. Sula was the captain. Of, well, uh, Sula was the captain of what was the that Excelsior. class? Of ship? 
Yeah, that's one you just mentioned. Man, Excelsior was being used for like 100 years. You're right. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) my God, you're right. It literally spanned Kirk's time, Picard's time. And I'm still trying to figure in the original Klingon bird of prey to small ones. Mm -hmm. As you say, those ships have been in use for about a century, it seems like. Right. Um, So it is kind of cool to see some newer ships. Mm -hmm. And good point, Matt. And I will say on on Star Trek Discovery, um, like for at, at the Battle of the Binary Stars, they had a pretty diverse fleet. They just right. they didn't look like the Starfleet ships that we were familiar with. You right. know, they, Discovery takes a much freer hand in redesigning the look of Star Trek. Um, I, I, anyway, I don't want to belabor the point too long. It's, I, I just really enjoyed the fleet shots. Mm-hmm. Now, what did you think about the battle itself? I was really fascinated. Like Keith said, that they actually use the three dimensions mm. and we, we i think we've talked about that before how a lot of the times they're like we're making a stand and we're gonna be right here and they can't go around us at all mm, yeah i feel like there's like 50 different ways they can get around you really easy but in <laughs> space um but they really seem to take advantage of the fact that there's hey three dimensions in space mm-hmm. wow well we were just talking about that last last week with redemption yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, with the, it's a, the space lake where you you can't go under, you can't go over, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right, you've got to go right through them. Um, but yeah, I, I liked a lot of all the three dimensional maneuvering that was going on. Uh, I was a little surprised at first that the the battle was moving so slowly. It seemed like if you wanted to destroy a Starfleet, I mean, mm-hmm. with the shields down and mm-hmm. you've got phasers and torpedoes, I mean, it's like tissue paper, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or you know, open up the containment on the warp cores and they all go boom but and re- i was re-watching it just uh here a few minutes ago mm-hmm. and i guess the point that they, i guess they wouldn't want it to go too quick because they they want the other starfleet ships to come they want the the, the virus to continue to spread to yeah. more and more if the battle was over in 30 seconds there wouldn't be anything left to transmit the virus to the other starfleet ships as they arrive right yeah yeah so it slowing down caused all these other ships to um, oh, I forget what the word is. Basically, send out the um, SOS. Mm. What's the word? I'm, why am I blinking on the word? I don't know. But we've got a comment from Elaine Sweatman that says, I was saying the same thing as Veronica, that they seem to be better at diversifying the ships in the animated shows than in the live action shows. Yes. And then Matt followed up with a comment that a virus that kills its host too quickly will die out. Exactly. That's, that's, that's exactly. Um, so I, yeah, I, I thought it. Ooh, that's I, deep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's deep, Matt. Matt. <laughs> yeah, a resident <laughs> philosopher. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought it was great. I, I really, and I really liked that they took the the time for the character moments in there. You know, um, you you, I, I liked that little bit with Janeway in the brig when it was. Um, I forget what episode she was from, but the the Starfleet officer who had been rescued by Voyager. Yeah. And lets her out. You know, I, I I love that little tie-in. I mean, of course, it's convenient that she's that she's the one guarding the cell <laughs> and she's gonna let her out. But <laughs> but it, but it's nice. It's a nice callback to to Janeway's history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool too. Yeah. And then um, you know, the the I guess that, that moves us into the um, the SOS, the, the other ships, the Klingons and Ferengi and Gorn and everyone showing <laughs> up to try to save Starfleet. Yeah. I thought that was cool. That was a very Star Trek-y moment where she she puts the call. And, and you know, if, if you have ever been indebted to Starfleet for anything, you know, 
now's your chance to pay them back, essentially, you know? Mm-hmm. There were some two of uh, the lady who, as you said, the lady who said that Janeway had saved her. Well, she was one of the group of people that she had saved the, um, the call out to basically saying, if we've ever done anything for you, please save us. And the lady says, why should I? And she convinced her the uh, speech later from the hologram Janeway. There were a lot of really good speeches here that yeah. could have been corny, but they worked. I mean, it mm-hmm. really did come mm-hmm. off of Star Trek, you know, Star Trek yeah. and Star Trek lost that line between being a little bombastic, a little corny <laughs> um, and really inspirational. And all mm-hmm. of them worked for me. Yeah, it, it worked. <laughs> Right. And, and, and spe- speechifying has always been part of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's very rooted in Star Trek's DNA. And there were some, like you said, there were some good speeches. Gwen had that speech. Uh, and then, I mean, hologram Janeway had a great speech. Um, yeah. I mean, what, do, so what do we think about losing hologram Janeway? I'm very sad. I was looking forward to interaction, more interaction with hologram Janeway and Admiral Janeway. Hmm. I agree. They somehow managed to make two similar but different personalities, both of whom I like. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. Paulo Janeway and I love the, the, well, Admiral Janeway. And I was very sad when Hollow Janeway couldn't make it because she couldn't download her program. Mm. Although I kind of, I don't know, I guess you, you got the doctor's mobile emitter, although that was like, what, 25th century technology. So I was thinking, man, y'all can't. Just put it on two flash drives. She's like, it all will fit on one flash drive. We've all, especially those of us old enough to remember, those of us old enough to remember floppies, man. Just, you know, one right. of seven, two of seven, three of seven. <laughs> but they don't, they don't have WinZip in the 24th century. She right. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I, th- I thought that, um, I mean, I was surprised. That hologram Janeway died. I, I I expected they're sort of the status quo of the show to go on longer than one season of yeah. them and hologram Janeway. I expected this to sort of resolve with the protostar escaping to some, to the next adventure. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we'd be past the Admiral Janeway stuff and the Starfleet stuff and onto something different for a while. Right. Um, it's pretty, pretty ballsy to, to upset the apple cart like that, you know, mm-hmm. to sort of get rid of the status quo uh, a season into the show. I mean, the, the toys haven't even come out yet. Of hologram Janeway and the protostar, <laughs> and they're toast. You know that, that is one thing. They're very, very slow on the uptake of toys, especially with the animated series. They're like, there's, there's, there's very few toys of the animated series. Any of the animated, either of the animated series out there. Yeah, I haven't. Re- I, I don't really follow like Star Wars toys and stuff, but I expect that, like, when a Star Wars cartoon comes out, in a lot of cases, you can go to the store and buy the toys. Yes, before the show's out. Right, not. <laughs> <laughs> after the after the show, after the season's over, yeah. Uh, but I guess they they were sort of the same way with the Baby Yoda thing. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, maybe I just don't follow toys. Maybe I'm I'm buying toys of thirty year old, fifty year old shows too often. <laughs> I'm not really up on how quick it happens. Um. So Matt Sweatman uh, commented, and Matt says Janeway's mother instinct is an overload with the product with the protostar's crew. That is true. Yeah, I, I yeah I think so. I think it's, it's it's not just the mother instinct, although I think that's a big part of it, but also the mystery and the desire to save Chakotay has sort of been driving her as well. Um, but yeah, especially with hologram Janeway uh, becoming a mentor figure to the crew. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's sort of always been sort of a strength of Janeway's is is looking out for a crew and bringing a crew together. 
you know, that's with Voyager, she had a crew that was half Maquis and half half Starfleet or a third and two thirds or whatever the math worked out to. <laughs> but um, and that wasn't something they really mined on the show uh, right. as they could have. But I mean, theoretically, Janeway sort of, you know, bringing a ragtag crew together is a, in her skill set, you know? Yeah. Uh, so Elaine had a comment that says, I hated losing hologram Janeway and I felt for the kids. That was a rough thing from them for them to have to go through. I'm also wondering how much um, they're going to relate what hologram Janeway was like in like how that's going to affect their interactions with Admiral Janeway. Because mm. so far it's, they've just been like treating Admiral Janeway. Like she's an extension of hologram Janeway almost. It seems like maybe a scarier version of hologram Janeway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, but they um, didn't seem quite as broken up about it as I thought they would be. When, oh, I don't um, know. I thought they seemed pretty broken up about it. Yeah. When when Janeway was realizing that she wasn't going to be able to copy all of herself, I was thinking that they were going to do something weird where her, I'm not going to say her higher functions, but I was thinking maybe it was going to be almost like a factory reset where mm. maybe some of her emotions and things that she had gained would have to be sacrificed so that she would almost be reset to day one. I thought right. that's what she was going to do. I didn't think she was going to completely go kaput, mm. which is what she did. I yeah. guess now that I, I guess now that I'm I'm fixated on this for those of you uh, those of us old enough to remember when you loaded video games from a whole stack of floppies I'm still fixated on they could have just had a whole bunch of, <laughs> of flash drives to download her but uh, yeah I thought they were going to just reset her I didn't mm. think they were going to completely destroy her so that that caught me off guard yeah and but also that, resetting a hologram is basically the same thing as destroying it yeah that's true and I guess yeah and I guess for a copy. Her day one copy would be on the archives, kind of like the doctor. So mm -hmm. it would just be back to that. Mm. Yeah, I guess so. Um, now, I think it's worth pointing out, though, that the protostar sort of like warped into a bright light and created a, a vortex. So um, it isn't as if I guess like in movie terms, we didn't see the body. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if this is a horror movie, you'd expect Hologram Janeway to be back in part two, you yeah. know? Mm -hmm. Um, so it's always possible that we could run across the protostar and hologram Janeway again. Yeah. So it's possible that the protostar didn't truly blow up. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just travel through time. I think the, the technology behind it is, and the scientific explanations are nebulous enough to, if they decide to bring that back, they certainly could justify it. Yeah. I'm not going to gainsay you there, Charles, because I was having a hard time. Even I with yeah, when they did, the, I was, I, I, I reran re it three times. And the whole thing, the protostar blew up, but warped, interstitial this and that. I'm like, well, holy crap, I couldn't get, I couldn't follow that. It was something like a wormhole and a time vortex and blah, blah, blah. And, and all I got out of that is we can go find Chakotay. <laughs> right. There was, a, there was a proto drive supernova in there somewhere. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there was a lot going on in that. Yeah. So there's I, enough layers of techno babble that they could, <laughs> the chain wake could be yeah. hiding under it still. You know what now is a great time for? A promo for Soul Forge Podcast. We talk about love. Loss. Tattoos. Sex. Dating. Stupid things we do for love. Pop culture. Mental health. We've had author interviews. Adventures. And shenanigans. What? Soul Forge Podcast. Where? We're everywhere. 
Soul Forge Podcast. Subscribe today. Forge your soul. So, I'm missing something. They said something about 52 years. So are they saying the other end of the wormhole created by the explosion is leading into the future or the mm-hmm. past? Where is Chakotay? Chakotay in the future. He's 52 years in the future. And is on, that where the first contact is? Right. On he's he's after the first contact on Solom. Okay. Okay. Right. Which so I mean, interesting. Okay. So that speaking. means that. Sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, speaking of which, mm-hmm. I was surprised that Starfleet is just letting Gwen go back to her home world yeah. and helping her get back there. I mean, is, wouldn't that be a big, te- like a violation of the Temporal Prime Directive? I would think so. Well, I so, wonder if that's going to be part of the season two is the the Temporal team is going to come in and be like, uh-uh, you can't do this. Go back to your crew. And that's how she's going to end up back with her team. <laughs> so they're all going into the wormhole and they're going to go into the future. Mm-hmm. No, she's my understanding was she's going to go to Solom in the present. Uh huh. Okay. Because she said that she can still change the future. Got and it. Save Solom. Okay. Um, which might just be sort of prepping them for the inevitable first contact. So they don't go crazy and kill themselves. Um, I, but <laughs> you're talking about the, the, the time cop guys. I would love it if Dulmer and Luxley, from trials and tribulations showed up and they're just like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> what do we even start with this? Uh, no kidding. From Matt Sweatman. And Matt says, someone on the internet mentioned that when or if they find Chakotay's protostar, it should have another hologram Janeway. That is an excellent point. There is there. I mean, presumably, I mean, unless the, unless the vortex is extending to when after the protostar jumped back in time, there would be a protostar with hologram Janeway on it that Chakotay had that the Solomites or Solomes or whatever they're called have stolen. Right. And are planning either planning to, or already have taken back through time. Is that the exact same protostar that we've been following in the series, Mm -hmm. just from a different time? Right. It's it from the past in the future. If that, if that helps you. (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) The yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. The one that we know, but it's in the future of the time. Where's Doc Brown in his chalkboard? Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm starting to get a little confused. And 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 I know more than one Star Trek series, especially Voyage, has always had the little quippy line. Don't try to think about temporal mechanics. It'll just give you a headache. Like there was right. one episode where Janeway was telling somebody how about how the cause can come before the no, the cause and effect. The effect can come mm-hmm. before the cause. Mm-hmm. And then they, there's always that comment. Oh, it gives me a headache. Uh, temporal mechanics. Just never think about it. So yeah, I'm a little fuzzy on this one. For me, it's kind of like a self fulfilling prophecy, where you are like, oh, this is going to happen, so I'm going to fix it. But the way that you do go to fix it is what ends up being the thing that makes it happen. Kind of like uh, twelve monkeys. Okay. Sure. I was thinking of sort of truth, but okay. <laughs> sort of truth what's that don't it's, even it's a book get series started. don't get me into it uh, <laughs> i will go on well, for hours <laughs> but yeah but you know that that very thing is common in science fiction you could say 12 monkeys you could also say logan's run the tv series mm-hmm. i also had that uh there's so many things where somebody goes oh my god i went back in time to fix it i'm the cause of it you know whether yeah. it's a virus or a war well that's the movie terminator yeah yeah, yeah good point but not, yeah. but not but not terminator 2 
Yeah. <laughs> Time travel works differently in Terminator 2. Um, but you know, Gwen, Gwen going back to her planet in the present, um, I got to say, even though it, it could jack with the timeline, I, I, I think it's needed because I got to still say at the end of the day, these have got to be the most jacked up people I think I've ever seen. Because if you think about this, at the end of the day, it literally boils down to another organization, a group of people said, hey, here we are. We all live together in this peaceful, this peaceful government, this peaceful organization. We would like you to join us. And then they destroyed themselves and blame everybody else for it. I have never seen a reaction like that. Now, there have been a couple of weird ones. Like, um, you remember in the original series, uh, the episode that I don't like, but a lot of people like Spectre of the Gun, mm-hmm. when they went down to the planet, well, I think it was the Malkosians, and they kept telling Kirk, stay away, stay away. And Kirk's like, nah, I got I to gotta, I gotta go here. I mean, you've had some xenophobic people. There was an episode of the Next Generation, I think it was called Clues. You remember okay. it was the one where... It was the one where they encountered a race of beings that were incredible xenophobes, and they ended up working with Data to erase the crew's memory of their entire encounter. Right. But they left some clues, so they went back. So, you know, we've seen races, and I get this. I get there's some races that would be like that. In our in our real world, um, the, J- Japan was like that for centuries. Japan was incredibly xenophobic, and the United States did something we should have done. We literally steamed the military uh, fleet into there and said, hey, you guys got to talk to us. So I get that people can react weirdly, but in, in all of Star Trek history, I've never seen a race react like this. Just I, I feel like that there was something a- else in there that is being left out. Yeah, I think. Yeah, what's going on? Yeah, maybe we just don't know enough about the beliefs and the customs of the solemn people. Yeah. Is it know why, why? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, it's a, certainly a fervor to it. Although I will say. Absolutely. That, I mean, I don't know that humans would react terribly well if an alien ship showed up out of nowhere. Yeah, but I feel like we would like just start murdering each other. We'd do that now, and there's no aliens. <laughs> right, but I feel like, oh, aliens are here. Hey. Well, no, the religious people would be nuts and decide to kill the people that want to communicate with the aliens because they think it's blasphemy. But that's a whole other story. So, yes, I could see that happening. Actually, that's terrible. All well, right, you know what? <laughs> now, to put it like that, I could maybe I could see that too. You'd have those who didn't want what they would consider to be um, contamination, those who would, those who try to exploit it. So maybe, yeah, maybe I can see it, but I still just don't see it. I don't know. The whole thing about them trying to destroy an entire federation just seems weird to me. So maybe Gwen can put them on a different path. <laughs> because at the end uh, of the day, the federation cannot force itself on anybody. Uh, let's catch up with a couple of comments. Cool. Matt Sweatman said the Enterprise episode E squared sort of had a similar timey wimey deal. <laughs> Which one was that one, Matt? Can you refresh my mind on that one? I don't recall that, even though I've seen them all. Um, is that the one uh, in the future? I I think nobody so. likes Spectre the Gun. Vandy Beth, I think a lot of people <laughs> like Spectre the Gun. Actually, I bet Charles likes it. I I do like Spectre of the Gun. See. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Vanny Beth asked, "Where's Alan?" And um, he couldn't be here tonight. He's uh, he's traveling, so um, we're uh, we're flying solo. Thankfully, we're live and people can see us because I'm driving this thing for the first yes. time and <laughs> figuring out as I go. Matt so also remember- had a. Mm-hmm. Matt, Sorry, I, Matt, also, Matt also had a comment that said, "Space corridor and future Enterprise generation ship." Is that Enterprise E squared? Yeah, 
we're, we're we're still in the process of rewatching season three, so I don't think we've gotten to that one yet. Um, but anyway, so yeah. Um, um, okay. Have you seen the entire series, Enterprise, Charles? I have in the past. Okay. Well, I've seen almost all of it. I haven't seen all of season three yet because that was yeah. Weird. I had rage quit Enterprise by that point and hadn't come back yet, so I was in and out at that point. Yeah, Enterprise E squared is the one where they kind of go into an alternate future. The Enterprise where they're basically the Bronk they got seen it yet. Okay, so I won't spoil it, but it's <laughs> yeah. it, it's an alternate future that could have happened like 20, 30 years in the future of the the series. So that's what uh, Matt was talking about. Oh, I missed a comment. Vanny nobody Bush, likes no, nobody likes oh, Cole. <laughs> <laughs> but they all love me. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, no, Vanny Best going to argue with me about it. I don't think she will. I think people do love you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I like the scene where they they used that vehicle replicator and made a shuttlecraft, uh, and then eventually sort of splashed down. Uh, very sort of uh, Apollo mission style with the <laughs> yeah. the shuttles around them and they're you know waving. I thought that was a cool scene. Yeah, you know it's it's funny because sometimes and it might be a personal thing against the sometimes Discovery to me sometimes Discovery would bring in some technology even though it was in the past in in terms of like the Picard's time period and I would kind of go oh, I'm not sure about that but I little things like the the thing in Prodigy. Because there's always been these questions of if they can replicate this, why can't they replicate that? So it actually makes sense to have the ship replicator and stuff like that. And I think that they, mm-hmm. I think that they've been, they've done a good job of carefully adding some technology. Sometimes the shows go a little too far, like some of the Abrams first movies. But I think that the way they've added some of the technology, like the ship replicator, actually makes sense. Because um, mm-hmm. I know it's on Deep Space Nine. You never saw them. But remember Deep Space Nine? They often talk about these industrial replicators that they were given to to right. uh, the Bajorans to produce. I don't know what. <laughs> I mean, right. they always talked about them. But that's what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they make it back to Starfleet. Yeah. And don't get in which I thought was an interesting twist. I like um, that. And, and I like that they're sort of, I mean, both Prodigy and Strange New Worlds are both sort of playing with this idea that the Federation is sort of bigoted still against augmented people. Mm-hmm. You know, one may, one, one of the prejudices that, that, that Starfleet still has. So I, I like that they're making that part of their, um, sort of part of the storyline, but also mm-hmm. that I like Janeway's line that, the you know, doll has 20, like the, the DNA of like 26 species. What better representation of what Starfleet is or what the Federation is than, you know, he's part of so many different species. Yeah. And I think, well, I feel like with Dow also, there's a difference. He's an augment, but it wasn't like it was his choice or even his, I guess it kind of was his parents' choice, but he, he didn't really have a, have a say in it and he didn't even really, Mm-hmm. know about it i mean he was literally created so you're gonna blame this person for what someone else did to them basically well technically yes it's it doesn't matter if it's your choice or not because technically bashir shouldn't have been allowed in starfleet even though it was his parents choice and not his so technically yeah but Janeway made a comment about the fact that i found the fact that he had the dna but it, it wasn't quote-unquote enhanced like he didn't mm-hmm. have he has Vulcan DNA, but right now, like the Vulcan telepathy is not turned on. And I guess the Vulcan mm-hmm. strength is not turned on. So I wonder if that weird button that lady put on the back of his neck in that other episode, 
he still had that funky button on and pushed it and started, you know, growing pointed ears and jumping 20 feet in the air. <laughs> they probably go, okay, no, you can't join. But yeah. And you know, this is a Luckily this that was removed. A, yeah. You know, this would be a good topic for another show because I think that this whole thing about what augmentation is, I think needs to be defined. And I would love to see the Fed, the Starfleet bylaws of what that means because in Enterprise. Flox talked about the fact that genetic engineering is very common on his planet, Dr. Flox. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that mean? Does yeah. it mean that, um, like in my family, I have type 2 diabetes. It's all in my family. Um, I wear glasses. Um, mm-hmm. I would give anything to get, take diabetes out of my equation. So if you could genetic engineer my sensitivity to sugar out, absolutely. If I didn't have to wear contacts and glasses and you could do it genetically engineer. I'd absolutely do it. So mm. I would I would like to know, I, I would assume, I think we talked about this before, I absolutely assume that if a child is born with a potential for disease, if a child is born with something like spina bifida or diabetes or something, I absolutely assume in the Federation, they must genetically engineer that out. I, I assume mm. that's okay. But what is the definition of augment? For example, if you're, like we see a number one in Strange New Worlds, so if a species like phloxes that did some very slight augmentation, like they what like what if phloxes people augment their eyesight? You know, what if they augment themselves very slightly so that they um, have a little bit more stamina than they normally would? Does that prevent you from entering Starfleet? What what's the mm. cutoff for I mean, there's Khan and then there's there's like Dr. Bashir was a kind of a harmless augment because his 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 augmentations were intelligence, but he didn't get anything else but Things like hand-eye coordination. Yeah, he didn't get like he didn't get like super strength and all that stuff. And I think that's why he didn't turn like kind of nuts like everybody else who was augmented. Yeah. Um, so there, I, I, I'm I'm really curious as what does that mean? Because there's got to be races that practice genetic manipulation, mm-hmm. and the Starfleet just roundly suppress all of them. Hmm. I don't know. Fanny Beth had a comment that says if Bashir gets to stay in Starfleet, so should Dahl. Agree. Um. Yeah, and I think, a can of worms. Yeah, I mean that might be the story that they're telling. You know, yeah. yeah. I will say though that Bashir was a proven Starfleet officer at a time of war, yeah. at a critical post. So maybe that has something more to do with it than this kid with no Starfleet experience who just sort of showed up in a stolen ship. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, it's a good point that you know. It, but it, it could just be that it hasn't been enough years since that episode yet that this you know sometimes institutions are. They take time to change, yeah. you know, and I guess that'd be a, a great opportunity for uh, a Dr. Bashir uh, spot on the show. Um, if they continue dealing with the augment storyline, you know, I would love for them just to reassemble his little band of augment misfits. <laughs> from DS9. I would love to see that gang back. Yeah. Are you talking about Patrick and those people? Yeah. Oh yeah. They were, they were wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm I'm interested to see where they're going with it, and I I I think that I mean they're they're doing a good job of finding things in Star Trek to to sort of build upon, and uh, oh, a couple more comments real quick. Vanny Beth said the resolution of number one storyline of the next season of S Strange New Worlds could have some bearing on what happens with the doll. That's very yep. true, and she said the Jack Pack comes back. <laughs> which I would love. I would love. I I, I love that the, the show's being made at a, you know, um, just a few years 
in storyline after DS9 and Voyager where you can still like mine these things. These are, these mm-hmm. are still fresh topics. You yeah. know, DS9 would have only happened what five years before this episode, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, too, I mean, you could do this sort of Voyager sequel on the show and just pick up with these characters and continue on. I think that's been an unexpected delight for me of the show. I mean, we we found out pretty early on that hologram or that Janeway was going to be involved in some capacity. And then we found out it was going to be hologram Janeway. But I love just seeing real Janeway, real Chakotay um, and whoever else they decide to bring back. I think that's Jellico. Jellico. Yeah. Screaming. Think, on the- <laughs> right. Just seeing a continuation of that world and it looks and feels like it should. Yeah, you know? that's one of the great things about um, doing an animated series. I mean, yes, it's been years and you can't really say, oh, yeah, it's been five years since this show that ended 30 years ago happened. And these people who played them before look exactly the same, obviously, because you do not want to recast them. The fans will not appreciate that. <laughs> um, but you can you can put them in the in the animated shows and still continue on their stories and use their stories to tell more stories. I think mm-hmm. that's one of the greatest strengths about the animated series is, is they have that ability. Yeah. Yeah. What an amazing, I always, I love, I love these stories. What an amazing story for Kate Mulgrew, who was the number two choice for Janeway and was brought in literally at the last minute when the actress whose name I can't pronounce <laughs> decided <laughs> she would, Genevieve, whatever, Genevieve, whatever, when she decided she couldn't work. And it's just so amazing when you look at these things like Shatner was not even in Gene Rottenberry's top five choices, not even in his top five. And it's amazing when it comes in. Then you can't imagine anyone else. I can't imagine anyone but Kate Mulgrew as Captain Janeway. But who thought that all these years later? She would not only be back in the Star Trek, but in a very successful Star Trek, and we're very excited about what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, absolutely, amazing. Mm-hmm. So, how do how what do we think about the way they left the end of season one, and what are you looking forward to for season two? I kind of like the way they they like had the the little cap of, hey, look, here's a new proto star, but that's not what we're gonna be flying on. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of hinting at uh, w- that they're going to be on a another Voyager ship. Um, but th- hey, guess what? There's another protostar out there that's not infected. Um, so it's still gonna continue on. Well, you sort of threw that out there, but Keith, did you pick up on the the very subtle clue as oh, what well, might be a clue as to, as to what the ship they're going to be on next year is? No, what was it? You know that scene I was talking about where they're in the water and the shuttles come down around them. Right. Um, I didn't catch this myself. I saw it pointed out online that uh-huh. the registry number on the shuttle was seven four six seven four six five six A, which is the Voyager A. Was uh, oh. that's the ship that that shuttle's registered to? Um, so it really? could. It, it, the speculation is that it'll be a Voyager A will be the ship they're on next year. Now that may or may not be the case, but. Um, I Between cool. that and then the in discovery when they were coming in and oh look the Voyager J I want what kinds of cool things they got up to it, it seems kind of if they don't do that it's even more of an awkward thing the way they said that in <laughs> discovery <laughs> well that's what I speculated in in that scene in discovery in season three when they saw the Voyager J and she was like that's like seven generations imagine all of those adventures. <laughs> 
And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) that was my speculation at the time was that it would be the prodigy would be set on the Voyager. A. that didn't turn out to be the case, but it might end up being the case for season two, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I am. I am um, pleasantly surprised that they did this because, you know, I think we all talked about it. We didn't know what to expect from the show since it was a little bit more geared toward kids. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know if it was going to be two, three seasons, like a lost in space where they just keep fumbling around. For t- you know, uh, we, I think we had talked about, we were a little concerned that this was going to be like two or three years of misunderstandings, you know? And I, and I was thinking, yeah. I can't take it. If they, if they spend two or three years just getting close to Starfleet and just about to tell them the secret and something happens and they jet off into space again. And it turns out they didn't do that. They only did it once. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and then getting rid of the protostar. And then getting to Earth and becoming, uh, in, in, a, in a way, uh, part of um, Starfleet, or at least in training, I didn't expect that to happen in the first season. And I like mm-hmm. that because that means they can reset some of the story and tell a different mm-hmm. type of story next year. And I love the fact they're not going to be just a bunch of kids running around misunderstood and lost and all that kind of stuff. So I'm really excited about that, where that goes. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited to see how they're going to find Chakotay and what that's all about. I yeah. I literally have no clue how that's going to flesh out. I just don't right. know because I'm confused about the time travel. And I'm, I'm, I'm just very curious about how this is going to go. Yeah. yeah. I'm also really curious because, I mean, I can't imagine Robert Beltran got on board and was excited enough about it to actually do any Star, any Star Trek thing with the little bit that he was in season with one. Seven lines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. There, there's no way they would have gotten him back for yeah. that. So I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that he's more active in season two. That's, mm-hmm. I think, what I'm looking forward to the most. Me too. Yeah, I- I'm looking forward to seeing this crew. I mean, it's a great opportunity for them to grow. That is season two. They're a group of young Warren officers who are in training on a Starfleet ship. That's a very different dynamic than what mm-hmm. we had in season one. Absolutely. Um, and it's something they that, were in charge. And that'd be a big thing for Dahl because yeah. a lot of season one was Dahl trying to prove that he could be the captain. Yeah. Right. And yes, it's not do that. It's kind of like you know, being the big man at your high school, and then you go off to college and you're the little man, you know. That, <laughs> no one knows who you are. Yeah, you're now, <laughs> now he's gonna be junior to you know the lowest ranking ensign on the ship. Mm-hmm. Um but I, they've done a great job, I think, of growing these characters over these first 20 episodes, and I'm really looking forward to the sort of the new dynamic in the show for next year. Yeah, that's going to be really, really fun to, for them to play with, I think, is Dow's um, experience, just because he ended up basically serving as a captain for a while, and he, but he's under all these ensigns who don't have any experience, but went through Starfleet. Mm. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting dynamic between them i'm looking I, I you know what i think i am looking forward to that more than chakotay I, I i mean i'm excited about chakotay as well but i think i'm looking forward to that dynamic and how that's going to play out that would be cool too that i mean he's very space savvy you know he's been out in yeah. space quite a bit and raised for a while by a ferengi and at a prison and running around on a ship and you're right like he could be end up serving under a starfleet officer who's on their first mission yeah you know it's kind of like um, when uh, Wesley Crusher went to the academy, and I always, I mean, we saw him with the uh, the first duty, mm-hmm. but I always wondered what it was like for Wesley Crusher to go to the academy as an ensign, and a guy mm-hmm. has more experience than 
hell. Yeah. Like he was on the uh, flagship as a yes. for like three years before he went to the academy. <laughs> yeah, he probably he's been in more battles than like his instructors. So I always yeah. thought it would be very interesting to see what we- what Wesley would have been like at the academy. See, right, Doll's going to be kind of the same way. This man, he has he has been in life and death battles, and now he's going to have somebody over him who hasn't even probably been in a deep space yet. That ought to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So looking back on season one, I mean, what did you think? What are, what do you think the high points, low points? Um, I mean, do you think that they they pulled it off? Yeah, they I think they did really good about slowly developing the characters and they didn't drastically change from one episode to the other, but they drastically changed from the first episode to the last one. Absolutely. I agree. I did not know to expect this because again, I keep saying it was a it was a show geared toward kids. I didn't mm-hmm. expect the growth that we had here. I didn't expect them to progress the story, and mm-hmm. they did progress the story. So you're right, and I think that's I think Veronica. I think that's perfectly expressed. If you look at them in the first episode and the last episode, they're different characters. You know, they're, yep. they're, they're some 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 cases they're temperate, especially Gwen and Doll. Their experiences. Um, you've got. The Janeway hologram completely changed even from the first episode to this. So I mm-hmm. I am I really enjoyed the season. I think they did an excellent job of telling a good story, growing the characters, and taking it to a place I didn't expect. So I was very mm-hmm. happy with. Um speaking of that real quick question, what happened with the diviner at the end? Did did he turn into dust or something? Yeah, I think the diviner's dead, but the what was she called? The Redeemer, the Reclaimer, whatever she was, she escaped. Right. Um, her her dreadnought turned into an escape pod, and they shot. Her <laughs> okay, <shit. laughs> that, that was a funky scene. <laughs> I, I yeah. thought it was kind of cool that that dome repaired itself. I thought it made more sense than just having yeah. a glass dome over them or a transparent aluminum dome. Um, but yeah, I think Diviner's dead, but John Noble could still come back. They made that clear that he's still alive in the present on Tars Lamora. Yeah, I'm interested to see how that works, though, because, I mean, 52 years in the future, and he had already come back and lived a long time mm. on in, in the current day, long enough to where he was like, oh, I should probably make a progeny while I'm here, too, and then Gwen grew <laughs> up. So there's at least Gwen plus some where he's been in. I'd say it's 70 years, probably 20 years in the present or in the past. And then 53 years to the future. So around 70 years, 75 years, something so like that. So he'd be like Gwen's age, basically, right now. Yeah, I mean, depend- I don't know how, I don't know what the life expectancy is yeah. of someone from Solom. He could he but- could be played by John Noble again, or he could be 10 years old. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Either way, it'd be messed up for Gwen. It's a be a pretty yeah. big story for her Yeah. to find him. Um, especially knowing his future. I think that, that has the potential to be very interesting. Yeah, and uh, how she would handle that, and would she... I thought it was. In- I thought it was interesting that that other, the other lady, his um, his fellow from his planet, said of him, "You were always the weak one," or something like that. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of interesting, given what we've seen him do. Mm. Yeah, but, well, but then mean, they at did. The, at the, in the some of the early episodes when they were still on the planet, he was like in some kind of like regenerating gel for a lot of the time. So mm. it's like he was That's not true. surviving very well. Or he could be ex- have been extending his life. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
Yeah. Um, I did want to swing back to a comment from Matt Sweatman that said, mm-hmm. I do look forward to seeing the kids interact with some Starfleet officers. It feels a little more believable as a ship needs more than a six man crew. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the, the Protostar is a pretty small ship as ships yeah. go. But yeah, I mean, I, I, that's one thing I like about Star Trek is like the, the, you, you have a crew. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they showed in next gen uh, the technology to the point where Picard and Riker by themselves could just fly the Enterprise back. But back in the original series days, like Kirk, couldn't fly the enterprise out of orbit by himself. Like you need more people than that. You know, like if it was, when it was just him on the ship, he was just trapped there. Um, I, I like having the crew. I think the, the crew uh, is part of the star Trek formula that works very well. So I look forward to them seeing them. Uh, like Matt said, part of a Starfleet crew and, and just the difference that makes for them. Cause that's very different. It's a very different structure being on a military ship um, <laughs> for me and Keith and a non-military ship for everybody else who likes Star <laughs> Trek. <laughs> um, but it's a very different life than being on your own and being alone right. in the galaxy or being in a small crew. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as the, the character development on the, on the show goes, I and mean, they've come a long way just in season one. I really look forward to seeing what they do. I mean, it could be like a DS9 situation where like every time I get to the end of DS9, I just want to watch the beginning of DS9 again. Yeah. Yeah. The characters have gone on such a journey and I want to go right back and see, yes. you know, <laughs> young, young Bashir and young Kira before all the changes. You know, I, it, it could be a situation like that where by the end of Prodigy, you just can't believe who they were when the show started, you know, right? Uh, which I would love. Yeah, that'd be amazing. All right. So. Th- it sounds like we're all pretty positive about it. We all enjoyed Prodigy. I don't know when season two is supposed to start. Um, the show makes, takes a long time to make, so I don't know how far yeah. out they are on it. But um, I, I liked it a lot. I'm really looking forward to. I'm looking forward to season two even more than I was looking forward to season one. Uh, Me too. A good place to be with a yeah. Star Trek show. Yeah. Me too, because they they absolutely impressed me, and um, I lo- I genuinely genuinely don't know what's coming next, which is great. I I just don't know. Like right. like Veronica said, when are they going to bring Chakotay in and give him some talk, some real lines? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I'm confused about the timey wiminess of all of this. So this is going to be very interesting. Right. We didn't need a chart, you know. Yeah. Um, that, that might be why they went ahead and established that wormhole to an alternate future where Chakotay is. And mm-hmm. they sort of spelled all that out. So next time all they have to do is show up to that's the wormhole to where Chakotay is, you know. Um, right, and made it clear that the, the future Chakotay's in hasn't been erased by the fact that the history in the past has been changed now. Mm-hmm. That right. he's in an alternate future. Mm-hmm. So it's is there, yeah. or maybe is he's there, now in an alternate universe. Is there any reason to think at all that Janeway and Chakotay are more than just friends? <laughs> yes. Does anybody want them to be more than just friends? Do you think they I'm, could I'm be sure more than just friends? Are, there are people that do. Every every person on Twitter seems to think they they want to be more than just friends. <laughs> But, and uh, I mean, there's been Chakotay and Janeway shippers for 25 years. Right. So, yeah. But I think as for what they've shown so far, it, it works just as well either way. We were just talking about this a few weeks ago, but I think it works. If you just think she has a loyalty to her first officer, yeah. then that works. And if you think right. that there's more going on, then that works too. Um, and whether they establish something concrete on the show, I guess remains mm-hmm. to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I, I agree. Though. I think it works both ways because Having rewatched Voyager last year, I tell you, I have dude, there's there's way more innuendo between those two than I thought. <laughs> way more. I mean, there's all kinds of weird episodes where she'll like touch his cheek and weird things where she'll invite him to dinner and 
So they definitely toyed around with it. And then, of course, there was a whole episode where they were stranded on a planet together when they had a virus that they couldn't cure for a while. And they literally mm-hmm. fell in love with each other. And then they just got back on the ship and just didn't talk about it. So, right. that's yeah, how that's 90s television. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I think if Riker was missing and Picard would be hellbent to find him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? I didn't use Kirk and Spock as an example for a reason. <laughs> I use Riker. <laughs> Kirk, the Kirk right. and Spock thing is murkier for fans as well. Um, <laughs> kind of like Janeway Chakotay. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. Now, Keith, when we when I started the, the, the stream, I skipped over a lot of stuff I used to do at the beginning because I was desperately trying to make sure that we were not just talking to ourselves and actually broadcasting. <laughs> so let's, let's circle around and um, do some This Week in Trick History. Yeah, I got just a couple of things here. Boy, I hope I didn't delete this. Okay. Okay, yeah, I just got a couple of items here for this week in track history. And I'm actually going to start out, I was doing birthdays for a long time, and I really try not to do birthdays because you can do a lot. But there's two birthdays I think are absolutely critical. Okay. Uh, One of them, January 2nd, 1920. Um, 103 years ago. Yeah, can you believe that? This is pretty wild. I'm trying to think of something that would come up from here. Uh, there's there's nothing that I can do. Okay, I'm gonna do this. Is the person who came up with the concept of the positronic brain? Isaac Asimov. You got it. Isaac Asimov, the famous science science writer, the guy behind the three laws of robotics. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I found interesting about this is Isaac Asimov was a science consultant for the original series, and he okay. was a science consultant for the motion picture. Now, one of the things is it's it may be hard for people to kind of think about this nowadays unless you think about people like Neil deGrasse Tyson or something. But there was a time when people like uh, Isaac Asimov and, and Einstein were truly worshipped even by the general public. Mm-hmm. And when Gene Roddenberry did his one of his first showings of Star Trek. At you know one of the uh, one of the events that he had, but he was showing like the black and white prints and stuff. One of the people who showed up was Isaac Asimov, and Isaac Asimov was really excited to see this thing called Star Trek. And but when they were getting ready to show it, Isaac Asimov started talking, and Gene Roddenberry mm-hmm. literally, literally shushed him, shushed him, and told him to be quiet. <laughs> and someone in the audience literally said, "Gene, you just killed your career because you shushed Isaac Asimov." Now, can you imagine somebody in our time saying that about a scientist, <laughs> which I think is right. wild. But the reason I say this is they didn't get on well at first, but Isaac Asimov liked Star Trek. Well, when the original series started airing, Isaac Asimov actually wrote an article criticizing the science of Star Trek. Mm. And Gene Roddenberry, instead of getting pissed off at him, called him up and said, well, I do the best I can, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Isaac Asimov said, well, you know, I can kind of help out. And from that conversation, instead of getting pissed off, he brought Isaac Asimov on as a science consultant for the series and for the the motion picture. And then, of course, his concept of the positronic brain was used in TNG. And whether you ever talk about it or not, the laws of robotics go across any robot or android that's pretty much ever created in any show ever since. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Next birthday, real quick, and I'll just say this, January 7th, 1924, Gene Kuhn. Oh, wow. Yeah. Most people who don't know, just like with just like with George Lucas and Star Wars, you'll just kind of think, well, Gene Roddenberry created Star Trek. And I, I think when you really dig in, even I, as I dig in in the last couple of years, 
it's amazing. Of course, the whole concept was Gene Roddenberry's, but you need so many people around you. And really, the thing that became Star Trek, it wasn't just Roddenberry. It was Roddenberry. It was DC Fontana. It was Matt Jeffries. It was the director of photography, Jerry Fennerman, who's mm. responsible for so much things like Metamorphosis, Charles. And right. it was Gene Kuhn. Gene Kuhn was a producer, director, writer on the show, or a producer on the show. He was more responsible for the, the change from the tone of the season one to season two. Mm. Season one was very, very, very dramatic. You know, I've said many times, I love like the first dozen episodes of season one. They're still some of my favorites. Things like The Conscience of the King and Court Martial. But if you look at those shows and then season two episodes, one of the things you'll notice, there's a little bit more action and there's a little bit more humor. And there's also what became known as the Coonism which was the goofy joke at the end of every episode, which sometimes <laughs> just don't make any sense. Like yeah. um, the episode where Kirk's brother died and they're, they're cracking wise at the end of the episode. Yeah. Well, those were, those are Coonisms. Well, anyway, Gene Coon was very instrumental in making Star Trek what it was throughout the second season. Um, ironically, Gene Roddenberry, uh, Roddenberry and Coon battled a lot because Roddenberry hated the jokes. He hated mm. the Coonisms. And he always felt that Gene Kuhn diminished his show by the humor that he added to the show, mm. which is kind of funny. So even sometimes the interplay between Spock and McCoy, Rottenberry hated that, but other people liked it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's always funny when you look at a creator and then people who come and work on that creator's work and you see the tension between them and people can make your work better, but it's your work. So you always feel a little precious about it. Right. But Absolutely, Star Trek wouldn't be what it became without Gene Kuhn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we had the opportunity to speak to Gene Kuhn's assistant, mm -hmm. uh, Andrea Kendrick, yes. on the show. And that was one of the highlights for me of mm -hmm. the whole time we've done this podcast. So that's oh, yeah. available as our podcast episode and on YouTube. Mm -hmm. uh, if you've not seen or heard it, uh, she's fascinating with some incredible stories. Uh, well worth listening to. Absolutely. And two more quick ones. I thought this was interesting because I never got to this place. On January 4th, 1998, Star Trek The Experience opened at the Las Vegas Hilton. Okay. Um, awesome. it, um, did y'all ever get to go? No. No, I never did. <laughs> uh, you may remember the original concept was for a full-size model of the Enterprise to be built in Vegas. The right. original guy behind all this literally wanted a, what, 800-foot-long construct that was the Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> in the desert. And they're like, no, nah, we can't do that. So they ended up building the Star Trek experience. It cost $70 million back in 1998 to build. It had things along. It had a DS9 promenade. It had a restaurant that was based on quarks. It had rides like the Klingon encounter <laughs> and the Borg invasion 4d ride. Um, a lot of people went, I've, I've, I hear it was really great. There were actors that worked there for like the entire 10 years. Um, right. There were conventions held there, but after a while it was finally closed after 10 years, it was closed in 2008. And there were all these plans to try to revitalize it and open it back up again. And it just never worked. So it lasted for those 10 years. Everybody I've ever talked to who went there enjoyed it. What I also found interesting was the closing ceremony in 2008. The person who hosted the closing ceremonies was Susie Plaxon. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And Matt Sweatman commented that he and Elaine went. Awesome. 
They didn't invite any of us, but they went. So (laughs) I hope you had a good time, Matt. I didn't even know Chuck then. So I I feel like Elaine and Matt would not have known me either. It's ironic that they closed it the year before Uh the 2009 Abrams movie came out. I know. You know, which gave Star Trek a big kick in the pants. You know, they could have held on one more year. I wonder if they could have parlayed that into new interest and made it longer. You know, I, I think that's tragic that it closed in 2008. And then 2009, there was a big boom of Star Trek excitement when that's David true. came out. That's absolutely true. I didn't even think about no. that. They could have done that. Um, who's uh, what's his name? It's the um, the King of Jordan is a huge Star Trek fan. Maybe mm-hmm. he can do something because he actually even guest starred on one episode of Star Trek. <laughs> right. And the last thing is literally one of those enough said moments. We all know what this was. January 3rd, 1993, January 3rd, 1993, Emissary premiered. Mm-hmm. That was the arrival of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Yep. Uh, probably 30 years. The most, yeah. And I would say I noticed from the buzz back then, literally the most controversial Star Trek series introduced at that time. There was the whole it doesn't go anywhere. I don't get these people. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. It's darker mm-hmm. than Gene wanted. It doesn't it doesn't fit Gene rule Gene's rules. And now 30 years later, it is literally one of the most beloved star trek series mm-hmm. of all period in the story yep. we yep. watch it almost every night yeah <laughs> it's, it's our show we put on when we're going to bed and if i'm watching something else franco will make me put on ds9 because so ds9 is great yeah but i know it so yeah. i don't have to like pay attention but it distracts my brain because it's a great sh- show mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't well, fall asleep because yeah. I'm bored. I fall asleep because it's comforting. Well, let's not get too deep into comments <laughs> on it because we're going to do a, a special uh-huh. episode about the 30th anniversary of DS9 yes. uh, next Woo-hoo. Thursday. So come join us live uh, if you can. Uh, we'll be talking about Deep Space Nine and um, sort of Deep Space Nine at 30. We haven't zeroed in on it on a narrower topic than that yet. We're all just really excited to talk about DS9. So mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hold my comments for that. Oh, um, my goodness. All right, Keith, well, where can people find more of you? You can find me on all the standard social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, primarily the ESO Network Facebook groups. And how about us, Veronica? Feltnerdy.com. Or? Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. That's right. And do you have a closing for us this week? Well, I also wanted to say that um, as Felt Nerdy, we have some uh, shows scheduled coming up. That's true. So um, if you would like to come see us live, we have... um, two shows coming up so yeah, check out we've our got Facebook jen and jack's um happy hour on january 27th and um the puck and puppet show on february the 11th yeah. <laughs> so those will both be adult oriented shows uh we've got some wild things planned so if you're in the atlanta area come see us there yep and in the meantime veronica your closing for us is i was gonna say whatever dow's like let's go thing is but i'm How about janeway's last line go fast that, that was his thing. Go fast. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store. 
which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.